Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Y'all ready to get into the Word this morning? Hey, I'm excited, uh, not only because I get to share with you today, uh, but because, guys, we are in a time and place in this church right now that I don't know that I've ever experienced. Um, Tim said at the beginning of the, of the year, he set forth this idea of fire in our hearts, that it would be something that we were going to run after. It was the name of our series. We're actually in the 11th week of the series of fire in our hearts, but it, it's become more than that. I actually think it's actually become a little bit prophetic because there's something happening in the midst of our church. Um, maybe you've experienced a little bit of that. If you're new today and you're walking in the room, you're thinking, fire in our hearts. Are, are they talking about heartburn? What? Are they, are they praying for that? You know, it's not heartburn, okay? It's the Spirit of God moving inside of us, moving in us to get us to move and do His will and love His people, right? And that's what I love about David and Melanie is that that's what they do with their whole lives, and that's been really exciting to watch. Well, um, in the midst of all of this, as you've seen it, we talked about the prayer. Uh, guys, at the, since the beginning of the year, if you didn't know this, in January, we were going to do 100 hours of prayer, right? We did 150 hours of prayer. In, since January, we started this eight weeks of prayer that we're just now coming to the end to, and in that time, we've had 40 to 70 people a week that have been joining us for a Monday night prayer. You know how many hours of prayer that is? 400 hours of prayer for this church and this body. And I'm seeing things. I'm seeing salvations and baptisms. I'm seeing lives transform. We've been watching these videos and doing interviews for weeks now. Guys, God is moving in this place. He's not standing by. He's not waiting for something to happen. And his people are calling out to him, and he is answering it. I love that passage of scripture that says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Hey, we've been running after him. We've been asking. We've been seeking. And we're finding him. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't leaned into that, if you haven't stepped into that season or stepped into that idea of what does God have for me, it's not too late. We got a couple more weeks of prayer Monday night prayer is coming up, so come on, jump on in. All right, I'm going to let that go now. <laughs> this morning, excited to talk about a value, one of the values of our church. And some of you may know our values, some of you may not. You may not even realize every time you walk down our main hallway next to the kids' stairs, on the wall, our six values sit there to remind us. Our six values, reaching people. Extravagant love, passionate devotion, courageous faith. What is, it's always the spiritual family. And doing things that matter, right? Well, this morning, I'm really excited because I get to preach about the value of extravagant love. It's a value that has been a part of this church since the very beginning. Long before I came here, they started the Bringing Life initiatives, uh, Love the City, Love your neighbor, love, love your schools, love the world. 
And that has played out in so many different ways over the years. But it's not just the things that we do outside of these walls, right? It's also the things that happen within these walls. We've got over 250 people that serve on serve teams every single week. It is the reason why we can come in here and do this right now. Because we have people who are sacrificially giving of their time to love on other people. It's the host team, the hospitality team, the prayer team, our live stream team. Did you know that the sound people get here at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings? Who wants to wake up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning? Right? But they're here every single week. How many of you have kids in this room? Okay, and they're up in kids ministry right now. Did you know that those people sacrifice coming to service on those weeks so that y'all can come and worship and hear the word of God? And let me just say, our kids' ministry is booming. Love is alive in this church, guys. And hey, if you've been thinking about serving, kids' ministry is a great place to serve because we need more kids' people. We need some more people to love on our kids in this church. So come see me. Come see Hannah, anybody. Uh, we will get you going. Well, hey, this morning, uh, to begin with, I wanted to take us to a passage of Scripture that has been really important to us. Um, it's one that's been special, I guess I would say, over the last few years. And it is found in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to get that out, we're going to jump right in this morning. The passage says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. For she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds today to hear you, to see you, and to feel you, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. First of all, this is a really important moment, okay, in the ministry of Jesus. He and his disciples and many of his friends are gathered together in a home, and this is believed to be one of the last times that he gets together with friends before his betrayal and going to the cross. The last being the last supper with the disciples. To begin with, I think it's really important to note that this story of the alabaster jar is actually in three different gospels, okay? It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in John. The reason why that's important is anytime there's repetition in the telling of a story, it gives it not only clarity, 
but it further verifies the importance of a moment. What do we know? Well, through those passages, we know at this moment, the time is coming near, right, for Jesus to fulfill the purpose for which he was sent. He's spending it with some very close friends. Mark is pretty general in his writing, but in Matthew, he mentions the disciples are there. In John, he mentions that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who had just been risen from the dead recently, is there. We also know he is one of his best friends. The big moment and the key character, obviously, is the woman. John says it's Mary. And it's this breaking of this alabaster jar of nard or perfume over Jesus' head. Nard or spark nard is actually an aromatic plant, a flower that can be found in Nepal, China, India. And there's an oil that can be excreted from it. Think essential oils that we use a lot nowadays. And when it's collected, it has a very pleasant aroma, very much like a perfume. Now, this oil was obviously expensive. Someone in the room mentions that it is worth a year's wages, possibly. At that time, a year's wages for a regular worker was about 300 denarii. Can you imagine today if you had a bottle of perfume that cost forty dollars or $50,000 sitting on your shelf? Would you want to use that perfume, you know? To say that Mary's gift was extravagant is to put it lightly. To say that she went over and above and above and above is probably more in context. The definition of extravagant is lacking restraint or exceeding what is reasonable. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I know the mind of Mary, but this is someone who I mentioned has spent a lot of time with Jesus. Someone who you could say might know Jesus well on a human level, you know, as much as we can know the Son of God. Mary might understand this moment, though, better than even the disciples do. And why do I say that? Well, if you go a little bit lower, in about in the middle of the passage, it says in verse 8 that she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Beforehand's a really key word there, because normally when somebody dies during this time, they didn't do embalming. So what they would do is they would take spices, they would take flowers, and they would cover the person with them to keep their body from turning before they buried them. Today we embalm, and that keeps the body fresh before the funeral happens, right? Well, Mary took this perfume and poured it over Jesus. This very expensive perfume and the disciples are struggling with it. They're struggling with this extravagant act of worship that Mary is showing. What's funny about that is that Mary does this act of worship. The disciples, when Jesus would tell them about him going away or that he was going to have to die, 
he would, or they would, complain, what are you saying, Lord? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going away? Peter, in one instance, when Jesus is talking to Peter about his death, Peter says, this will never happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? You are a stumbling block to me. You only have the things of the world, not the things of heaven in mind. Just a couple days later, as Jesus gets arrested, who comes out of the back row with a sword and cuts off an ear? Peter, once again, it's almost like the disciples don't believe this is going to happen. But Mary recognizes the moment. What was truly, truly getting ready to happen is Jesus was moving into his darkest hour. And she maybe is recognizing that this might be the last moment or the last time that she is going to get to spend with Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see, guys, is that Mary got close enough to Jesus to understand, to see where he was going, and to join in him on the journey by pouring this perfume over him before he dies. I think what hits me about this act of extravagant love that Mary shows is it speaks not only to how she feels about him, but even more so who Jesus really is. You see, he's not just a friend. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a rabbi. He is her savior. He is the Messiah to Mary. And she is worshiping him as so. The second thing I want you to see, and it's in verse 8 as well, is Jesus says she did what she could. She did what she could. I love this line. It speaks, Jesus is speaking to it as the disciples are rebuking her, right? The jarring at her. And Jesus saying this speaks so much. John actually mentions in his version of the story that Mary and Martha were both there, number one, but they were very good friends of the disciples and Jesus. And that Mary and Martha, many times as the disciples and Jesus came through town, they would actually take care of them. A lot of commentaries actually note that they might have had money. And this would explain why Mary had this alabaster jar of perfume. Jesus said, Mary did what she could. I think what I like about Mary did what she could is that not only is it this extravagant love, but it also speaks to our expectation or God's expectation of us of how we are to love, right? We're not supposed to worry about what anyone else is doing. We're just supposed to do what we can with the resources that we have been given. You see, our Father doesn't expect the same from all of us, but he does expect you to do what you can. This reminds me of a story in Mark 12 where Jesus points out this poor widow. 
He's at the temple and people are coming down to the treasury to put money into the treasury. And there's this poor widow who comes down and she puts in a couple of copper coins. And then the rich people come in and they're kind of throwing money into the treasury. And I love what Jesus says. He says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others because they gave out of their wealth. One commentary said their surplus or the extra that they had. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Very much like Mary, the poor widow worshipped with not only what she could, but what she had. In the widow's case, she gave it all. In Mary's case, all we know is Mary had it to give. And though it might have cost her as well, she gave it extravagantly. I've heard it preached before that one of the greatest testimonies to Jesus actually being the Messiah was the fact that after he died on the cross, after he rose again and showed himself to his disciples and went up to sit at the right hand of the Father, that all the disciples didn't go back to what they came from. They didn't go back, Peter, to being a fisherman. Matthew being an accountant, that they went out into the world to preach the gospel. Because if he wasn't a savior, if he wasn't risen from the dead, wouldn't they have just gone back, right? Well, what Mary does in this moment, the extravagant, over-the-top expression of love and worship that she shows speaks to her belief that Jesus is more than just a man. It speaks to the Son of God is preparing to be the ultimate sacrifice. And somehow, Mary gets it. Okay, I want to go back to the story. Because with every example of extravagant love, there is also the antagonist, right? Okay, and in this story, the disciples. It says, some of those present were saying indignant lead to one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. You see, with every example of extravagant love, there's an antagonist. Just like with every hero, there's a villain. With every good, there's an evil. With every mountain, there's a valley. With every yin, a yang. The disciples, or at least a few of them, they're shocked and somewhat appalled by Mary's actions. That word indignant, the Greek word there is agonakteo, and it means greatly afflicted, even sore or irate. They were irate with her. Why? Because what she is doing is outside the scope of reasonable, even to bless Jesus with. They obviously feel. Have you guys ever heard of Newton's laws in physics? Who took physics? Anyone? Well, lots, lot of, lots of Newton's laws, but the third one, <laughs> yeah. How many people failed physics? That would be me. That would be me. Seriously, I truly did fail physics. Yes. With every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's the third law of Newton. Now, that is obviously physics in the physical realm, but it, this idea also plays out 
in our culture, right? That every time there is an opportunity for an act of extravagant love, there is a counter value that will hold you back from stepping into it. The antagonist responds with this value. And it may be a family member, it may be a friend, it may be an enemy. The antagonist can also be yourself, right? Have you ever talked yourself out of giving extravagantly or showing love when it was what was needed? We talked about extravagant love being lacking a restraint or exceeding what is reasonable, right? So what is the opposite of extravagant? Restraint, selfish, frugal, complacent, good enough. From the disciples' point of view, Mary could have just put some cinnamon and some spices and rubbed it in Jesus' hair. Maybe, maybe gotten some lilacs and rubbed them up and down on his legs. And that would have been good enough, right? That would have been well enough. Nobody would have argued with that. Oh, you're doing a great job, Mary. Keep going, you know? I love this quote by John Rockefeller. And it says, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Because only when we get outside of ourselves, out of the comfort zone of good, can we move to be great. When we settle for good or very good as our highest effort, then good becomes the enemy of great. You see, in life, you can have a good life or you can have a great life. You can have a good marriage or you can have a great marriage. You can be a good friend or you can be a great friend. You can be a good parent or you can be a great parent. And family, you can be a good enough Christian with good enough worship. Keep your faith at arm's length and just touch the surface of knowing God. Or you can have a fire in your heart and let it take over who you are and start running after God like you never have before. And by doing that, experiencing the extravagant love that the Father has for you, but also wants to put inside of you for the sake of others, right? We don't need to worry about what everyone else thinks around us. And Mary didn't. Church family, this is where we can be different. This is where this church can be different. This is where in this last six months, when I talk about something's happening in our church, this is what's changing, is we are starting to recognize we can do the same old things, just show up on Sunday morning, come, be together, you know, come to a night of worship every once in a while, or we can actually go after this thing together. And when that happens, something special happens within it. This extravagant love, this fire in your heart begins, may start as kindling, but it begins to burn. It begins to boil. And let me tell you, Mary had this. This was working inside of her. She stepped out of a normal, everyday kind of love and decided to step into an extravagant, fire-in-your-heart kind of life. 
the kind that Jesus had been living out. And, quite honestly, was getting ready to show them the most extravagant kind of love. The kind of love that gives their life for the sake of others. In 2015, I heard a message um, at that time by one of what I considered to be one of my mentors, Andy Stanley. Incredible preacher. Used to listen to him every single week. Matter of fact, when I started preaching, his book, Communicating for a Change, uh, was everything to me. I probably learned more in that book than a lot of the things that I learned in seminary. Anyway, there was this one message that really struck me. It was called The Power of Four Words, was the message. And in that message, he talked about this extravagant kind of love and what it means to love others. And if you would ask yourself these four words, that they might wreck you. They might change who you are and how you live out this extravagant kind of love. The four words, what does love require? What does love require? That question can be used in so many different situations. Somebody practically runs you off the road, what does love require? You have a family member who keeps hurting you, who keeps doing the wrong things, who is dangerous to you, to your family. What does love require? You're having a hard time in your marriage right now. You can't see eye to eye. And you know you're right. Right? What does love require? They're powerful words. And when the Holy Spirit that lives inside of the person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, he's promised that as soon as you accept him and ask him into your heart that the Holy Spirit comes in, right? Well, let me just tell you, if you ask that question, you better be prepared. Because it most likely is going to require something of you, right? Angie and I, before we got married, both of us had a heart for adoption. And we wanted to go through the foster system because we knew there were a lot of kids locally. And our very first little girl that we got, her name was Vanessa. We got her at two months old, and we had Vanessa for a year and a half, and we thought that this was going to be, right off the bat, this was going to be the first child that we would get to adopt. And there was a family member, lived in Chicago, actually had her part brother. Nobody knew about them, and at the last moment, they kind of came out of the woodwork. And they were a great family, so it was a blessing for her to be able to go with family. But let me tell you, it hurt. And we struggled. Because we felt like our home needed to be a home for kids. So we asked this question, what does love require? 
So we started again. And let me tell you, adoption is hard. Or excuse me, fostering is hard. Adoption could be hard too. But fostering itself is very difficult. You have a child that comes into your home. We had two kids, small kids at the time, and sometimes that would go great. Sometimes it would be a wrecking ball in our home. And they would leave, and we'd have to ask ourselves, what does love require? I talked with Alex and Ryan McDougall this week, and I don't know if you all know their story. They adopted Henry when he was little, and they had a child of their own as well, and they were both under the age of two when they got this call saying, Henry has a sister now, and would you like her as well? And I loved Ryan's reality, <laughs> how real he was with me this week. When we talked, he said, let me tell you, my first response was, no. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We've already got two car seats in the back seat, with under two, and we're going to add a third one? But they prayed about it. They talked to their family about it. ask this question, what does love require? Guess what? <laughs> they have that little girl. And it's taken their whole family and it took friends even in the church to help pay for that adoption because they didn't have the resources. But that's what God does. When you do what you can, right? So the question I have for you this morning what does love require of you as it comes to loving others? As it comes to loving your neighbor, right? Which is the other's part. You remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, right? And then the second part, like 1A, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul even said, that all of the law is summed up in this one thing, love your neighbor. What does love require of you as it comes to the people in your life? The second question that I want to ask you, and it's just as important as the first, more important. What does love require of you as it comes to loving God and our worship of God. Mary loved extravagantly. I love the very last part of the passage that we read. Let me just read this. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, this is the part, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told of her, in memory of her. What will people say about you in your relationship with Jesus? In the way that you worship Jesus? 
five years from now, ten years from now. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. What is, who is that person that you need to ask the question, what does love require? How do we need to change the way we worship the Lord our God? What does love require of you in that? If Mary asked this question, she obviously felt that it required everything. And she gave everything that day. Heavenly Father, move in us. Speak to us. And Father, give us the power to beat the antagonist in our life and to step out to show an extravagant kind of love to our Savior and to those around us. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.